Good morning, church. I think one mic suffices. <clears throat> what did I just do to my thing here? It's like, there we go. Hallelujah. Well, what was that song we sang? Um, I'm amazed at your great love. I just like to throw something out. It kind of pertains to the message, but it's not part of the message. If you're not amazed at God's great love, then you do not yet comprehend the depth and the height and the width and the length of his love for you. And that's exciting because it means we have some wonderful things to discover about our Father who loves us so much we don't even begin to understand. And we're going to kind of look at that today. I've titled the message, A Love Story from Christ. You've probably looked at the, prod, the story of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son many times. Uh, but I think the Lord has given me some maybe deeper insight that will help us to understand them or understand it. This is really part one of a two-part teaching. I'll do the second part uh, second week in May. Um, so let's start by reading Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young son gathered together, all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possession with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a, far way, a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You ever feel like that after you've sinned? Or if you've struggled with a particular sin? Father, I'm no longer worthy. That's what the devil would want you to believe. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. 
Now, the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf over him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and you would reach into our hearts and do the work that needs to be done. We are desperate for you, O oh Lord. Every day we are desperate for you. And we look to you, wanting to be transformed to be more like Jesus, wanting to be empowered to live the life you've given us. So Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. A parable is a story. It's a story that makes a point. Because the parable is a story, unlike the rest of Scripture, we really can't make doctrine out of the details out of it. Of it. We can only sort of make doctrine out of the point that the story was designed to make. However, if in a story we can find other Scriptures that are not part of a story, that substantiate the points in the story, then we can find some life-giving truth, doctrine, if you will, to pull out of the story. Because while it was just a story and never really happened and was not like Jesus saying, this is the way to do it, I don't think Jesus was inept in putting together the details of this story. So as we take a fresh look at the parable uh, uh, of the prodigal son, I believe we can for, more fully understand how, God how much God truly loves us, how much God truly loves you. Now, just a, a fact in passing, the parable of the prodigal son, that's not in Scripture. That's a title that men who wanted to make the Bible more readable, they added the chapters and the verse numbers, the books, and they also added the subtitles in some cases where there are subtitles. But what does prodigal mean since it is used in the verse? It says, it means wastefulness, in particular financial wastefulness. So when it says the son wasted all he had, 
in prodigal living, it's kind of like saying he wasted all he had in wasteful living. The main character of this story, the loving, forgiving father, whose character remains constant throughout the story, is a picture of God the Father. The younger son symbolizes, I believe, a backslidden, uh, backslidden person, as he was previously a member of the family. But again, it's just a story. The elder brother represents, some say, the self-righteous. We will look at the elder brother the next time I preach. But today we're going to look at the younger son, the younger brother. So <clears throat> the prodigal realizes that he had no right to claim a blessing upon which to return to his father's household. Nor does he have anything to offer except a life of service in repentance for his previous choices. We see the father waiting for his son, perhaps daily searching the distant road, hoping for his appearance. The story says the father notices him while he's a long way off and ran to him. To me, this obviously suggests that the father was looking for his son's return. When the father reaches his son, he throws his arms around him, despite the stench of the world. The mix of sweat and pig's excrement does not prevent him from hugging his son. The father is so filled with joy at his son's return that he doesn't even allow his son to finish his confession. He does not question him or lecture him. Instead, he unforgives, unconditionally forgives him and accepts him back into the fellowship of the family. I think this is probably an unexpected contrast when you look at all the the movies we've seen about Jewish fathers. Son does something that brings shame on the family name. He's dead. If he comes around, I don't acknowledge him. He's dead. That, that seems to be the traditional response of the traditional Jewish father. But that's not the response of this father. This father is looking, longing for his son's return. And he sees him a far way off. Also understand that, even though it's just a story, that the son, in these instances, not being able to afford food, likely would not have had a second set of clothes either. He probably still had pig's ex excrement and their smell on his only set of rags that he likely wore on his journey. To the Jew, pigs are an unclean thing, and anything that touches them are unclean. And while there are other ways to become unclean, Nothing is more unclean. But the father runs and embraces his unclean son, who has not yet purified himself. That's how much he loves him. That's how much he longs for his presence. God, our father, greatly loves us and is patiently waiting for us to come back when we have walked away, to repent when we have sinned, to welcome us back with open arms, to hug us and to kiss us. story doesn't say, but I can't imagine there weren't tears in both eyes, the fathers and the sons. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 say, says, <coughs> says, 
But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, the younger son was dead in his trespasses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Titus 3 verses 4 through 5. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done. Not by anything, any more than that young, younger brother deserved. We deserve none of God's grace or mercy. And still he loves us so much he can't withhold it from us when we return. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Are you starting to be amazed by God's great love? Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what's in your past. All God sees is Jesus in you now. The prodigal was son was satisfied to return home as a servant. But he's restored back to the full privilege of being his father's son. That's what happens when we repent from our sin. He had been transformed from the state of destitution to complete restoration. That is what God's love does for us. The father orders his servants to bring the best robe a sign of the prodigal's acceptance back into the family. A ring for his hand, a sign of authority and sonship in the family. And sandals for his feet. Only servants went barefoot. Masters wore sandals. And all these three of these things represent what we receive in Christ upon salvation. The robe of Christ's righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and the bride adorns herself with jewels. The adoption of sons into the body of Christ. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Ephesians 1, 4, 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, God knew you before the world was even founded. Before he spoke into creation, God knew you. He knew what you, who you would be. He knew what you would become. And he created you to love him because he loves you.
Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Remember, not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy. I don't stand before Jesus without blame this morning because I'm a super saint, because of the great things I've done for God. I may have done some great things for God. I may be <clears throat> living better than some. I'm sure I'm living worse than others. But none of that matters. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of the mercy that flows out of God's love for us. <sighs> Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It is the good pleasure of his will to bring you into his family and declare you as his sons. <coughs> Excuse me. Did you get that? It is the pleasure of his will to draw you into his family and to make you one of his own. to the praise and glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And then he gave the ring the authority to drive out demons and heal the sick and proclaim freedom to, the, to those enslaved and chained to sin, to heal the brokenhearted, he gave us that authority. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now, folks, that's a lot of authority. <laughs> Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commended, commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 21, verses 19 through 21. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately, before their eyes, immediately the fig tree, tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did a fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Luke 10, verses 18 and 19. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Whatever comes against you, it's as dust. It shall not hurt you. It shall not harm you. And then 
sandals, feet fitted with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How beautiful on the mountains are those whose feet spread good news. Why is it in the world we think that if, if, if we go to tell somebody about Jesus, they're going to reject us? Why do we think it's bad news and don't want to share it? It's good news. It's good news. And when we bring it that way, it's received that way for the most part. But the good news isn't just that Jesus died for your sins. That's his great news. That is good news. But there's more than that. Jesus died to give you life and give it abundantly, both in this world and the next. And that doesn't mean there's no thorns in this rose garden. But what it does mean is that Jesus is there to push the roses aside as you plod through on your journey of life. So that those rose thorns do not sting. Do not prick. It's not that we don't have challenges in this life. It's that Jesus goes before us, makes the way straight, if we will just trust in him. Notice that in this story, the prodigal son was a member of the father's household. Now... I don't know that the prodigal was so much an example of being unsaved as much as being black, backslidden since he was a member of the household. But this I do know. Whether you're backslidden or unsaved, you have the same problem or similar problem. They both have been victimized by their choices, by sin taking advantage of their choices. And through those choices, they become enslaved to sin. But you don't have to stay there. The prodigal eventually realized how far he has fallen and returns from the pigsties that are in a far distant land to beg for mercy from his father and be allowed back as just a servant. You know, it had to be a long trip. It was a far country. And I would think after starving and working for his master in that far land, he had no money with which to make this journey. It amazes me that his father would even recognize his emaciated son while he was still a long way off. I would think that his hair would have been a mess. I would think that his clothing would have been rags. I would think his stride would have been faltering from lack of nutrition and water. How do you see yourself after you've sinned? Do you see yourself as a mess? Do you see yourself as unlovable? Do you see yourself as unforgivable? I hope not. Because that's not how the Father sees you. But still, in his fallen state, the Father recognizes him a far way off. His father constantly had his son in mind, I believe. I know God has you constantly in mind. 
And inasmuch as he looked for the sun every day, so it would seem, it seems to me that he knew his son one day would return. That's why he looked. Even in his son's deplorable state, the father recognized him. You know, God knows you. He knows your flesh. He knows you're weak. He knows you sin. He knows that there's no hope for sin other than Jesus Christ. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die in your place. To take your punishment. Because there is no hope for us in ourselves. We are weak. We are flesh. We are born sinful. Some might want to argue, but they have to argue with the Bible and God, not me. The father immediately embraced his son, although he most likely was false, smelling sweaty and weakened by his journey. And he didn't wait until true repentance was, was uh, expressed. He took the fact that the son turned back to the father, returned to the father, as enough proof of repentance. And then he gives him a new robe. And when we return to God, he restores us with the robe of righteousness. He places a signet thing on our finger, expressing the authority of his kingdom. You understand? You have the authority of God's kingdom. Each and every one of you have the authority of God's kingdom. That's why Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, it shall be done for you. And he gives us shoes with which to take the kingdom to the lost. I would submit we need all three of those in order to accomplish God's will for our life. But we need one more thing. And what that one more thing is, is understanding how much God loves us. Because you see, the world is more than ready to tell you how unlovable you are. To put you down to raise themselves up. The devil is more than willing to tell you what a failure you are. How ugly you are. How miserable you are. How terrible you are. Because he doesn't want you to believe the truth. How beautiful you are. How successful in the kingdom of God you are. How lovable you are. How loved you are. Notice why we come before God's throne of grace. I mean, after all, it's the robe of righteousness that gives us right standing before God, which allows us to come before his throne of grace. So notice why in Hebrews 14, 16. Don't notice that we do notice the why. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. That means tramping in with mud on your feet. That might not be a right, a pleasant thought. Might not even seem right. That you got to repent and make some type of restitution, clean your shoes off before you come into the king's throne. But it says to come boldly. 
Let us therefore come boldly through the, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, it's not me who cleans the shoes, my shoes off. It's Jesus who washes my feet. It's God who cleans me up. I don't clean me up. God cleans me up. God cleans you up. Even though we have the stench of the world and may be spiritually emaciated, we can come boldly with confidence to God in order to find mercy and grace. I wonder, when you pray, do you pray boldly? Uh, do you pray like the elders in Luke chapter 7? Verses 1 through 5. I don't think this is coming boldly, by the way. Now, when he concluded all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, that's Jesus, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him, the centurion, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, notice he'd never seen Jesus. He never saw any of the miracles. I don't even know that he heard about the miracles. But it says when he heard about Jesus, he must have heard about the miracles because that's why everybody talked about Jesus. He sent elders of the Jews to him, that's Jesus, pleading with him, Jesus, to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, "The one for whom he should, or that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. He loves our nation, and he has rebuilt our synagogues." The elder, the Jews, or the elders, they didn't have confidence to come to Jesus and believe in his love and his goodness. Because they substitute or tried to substitute good works with relationship with Jesus. We can come boldly, not because we've built a temple, not because we've helped the God's people or nation. We can come boldly before, to, before God's throne of grace because God loves us so much. Because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need that signet ring of his, of his kingdom. John 14, 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, I can't imagine, greater works than Jesus did. Greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. You know, every time I minister, the first thing the enemy does is tells me how unworthy I am. Reminds me, tries to remind me of my past, my failures, my, the lack of answered prayer, my unfitness for duty. That's all under the blood of Jesus. But that's what the devil will do to try to prevent us from completing God's will for us. Whether sin or lack of uh, success in previous prayers, we cannot succeed in the present by looking at the past. I'm going to say that again. You cannot succeed in the present by looking at your past. 
And when Satan throws that, or his, when the devil throws that up before you, tell him to get lost. I don't know what you're talking about. Because I am the righteousness of Christ. I am God's child, his son. I have his favor upon me. All of the authority in heaven and earth have been given to me through Jesus Christ. That's the things to be thinking about when you're going to minister to people. If you're going to even minister to yourself. It's only knowing how much God loves me. And that through God I can separate my past as far as the east is from the west. And press on to overcome the need before me. I'm going to move to slide 46. You know, we've all incurred hurts in life. Some of us have been able to heal and some of us haven't. Some of us have been able to forgive everybody but ourselves. Some of us have been able to forgive, but we allow the fruit of those hurts to continue to hold us back, to cause us pain. And this morning, I'm here to tell you, Jesus took that pain. Jesus suffered for it. God loves you so much that regardless of what happened in the past, his will for the future is bright. You are righteous before God. And it doesn't matter really today what happened in your past, whether somebody did it to you or you did it to somebody. You are a new creature in Christ. You rose with him a different person than you were when you died with him. And this morning, if there's anybody here that is living with condemnation, self-condemnation, with guilt, with pain in their heart for anything, the Holy Spirit wants to heal you. And it really doesn't matter. It's not limited to that. The Holy Spirit is here this morning because he loves you so much. He's the manifestation of God's spirit, which is love. He loves you so much. If you have a need this morning, he wants to take care of it for you. But we have to receive. We have to believe and we have to receive. That's what the Bible says. So I'm going to say a general prayer as I close. But if anybody wants specific prayer after the service, I will stay as long as is needed. And don't get impatient as I, if I'm praying with somebody else. Don't, don't walk away. And just stick in there. God will reward your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a blessed people we are. How wonderful our lives are 
because you love us so much. Father, we may be like the prodigal son. We may have wasted the things that you have given us in the past, but they are in the past. And today we receive your love and your forgiveness and your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your blessing. To know that we are who you say we are, your sons and daughters. Daughters with sons' authority. That we are your own. And that you make the way straight for us. Going forward. Father, if anybody has it has a hurt in their heart this morning. I pray they would give it up to you. And I know your Holy Spirit will touch that heart. And fill it with your love and your grace, your peace. If any are sick, Father, I ask that by the stripes that Jesus bore on his back, that they would receive their healing in Jesus' name. And finally, Father, I just have to thank you. I have to thank you because you are such a wonderful Father. Such a glorious God. You have such amazing love for your children. May we rest in your love. Amen.